Well, please remain standing and turn with me in the Bible uh, to uh, Luke chapter 24. If you're using one of the church Bibles, you'll find that starting on page 884. If you haven't noticed through some of our hymns this morning, we're going to be looking at the resurrection. Uh, Having looked at the death of Christ on the cross last week, uh, we get uh, to come to the other side, to Sunday morning uh, in the empty tomb. Luke chapter 24. Our passage this morning is verses 1 through 12, but I'm just going to read uh, first through the beginning of verse 5, uh, and then we'll pick up in a few minutes with the rest. Uh, But beloved saints, the grass withers, uh, the flower fades, but our God's word, it abides forever. It is good, it is life-giving, and it is worthy of our attention. So let us give our attention to it. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. I'm going to stop there uh, before we see the angels' responses. Uh, But let us ask our God's blessing on our time in his word this morning. Our great God of truth, our merciful Savior, you've told us uh, to offer up our bodies as living and holy sacrifices, which is holy and acceptable to you. It is our spiritual service of worship. And yet the reality, we confess, is that we often struggle to do this. We are far too entangled in the affairs, the concerns of this world. We set our minds perpetually on the things below rather than the things above. And so we struggle to follow you as we should. We ask this morning that as we open your word that you would renew our minds, that you would transform our minds through your word, and that you would teach us to think as you think to believe as you believe, and to love what you love. Do this as we listen to and meditate upon your word. Be with us now, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we looked at the death of Jesus on the cross. And tried to unpack a little bit about what it means or meant for the disciples to wrestle with that tragedy. To see the righteous one treated like a common criminal. To to see the very majesty of heaven mocked and ridiculed. To see the very king of life Surrender to death. For the disciples to come to the terms with what it means that the king is dead. In fact, we looked at that old expression uh, from England, you know, the king is dead, long live the king. And, and that second part is really what we get to focus on today. Long live the king. But, but for us, it's not like it is in England. One king has passed, another king has ascended the throne. For us, it's the king who died (laughs) has risen from the dead, has come back to life, never to suffer suffer death again. So we say the king was dead. (laughs) 
The king is risen. The king lives forevermore along with the king. That's Jesus' story, and his story is unique. Uh, the creator, our, 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 our savior's story is this. Our, our creator, who, who made all things, entered into the very creation he made, became man, submitted to death, and then conquered death by rising again on the third day. And this morning, we want to look at, at the resurrection and, and why it's so important. And it's this. The reason the resurrection is so important is because it proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, and that he accomplished what he came to do, which is to take away our sins. And that's what we want to see. But as we do, as we look at this passage, we're going to see something interesting, even surprising. And, and it's how Luke uh, relates, records, and, and shares with us this resurrection story. Because it ends up being about so much more than the resurrection. It's, it's about our own expectations and how we handle disappointment and how we handle hard times. And we want to see that, that Jesus knew that that would be the case. And so he prepared his disciples for what was coming. And once we see that, we'll be able to see that our God also prepares us for hard times. Before they ever come. In fact, that's really what I'm going to hope to drive home through this passage. And it's this. God prepares us for hard times through his word, which always tells us what we need, even if it's not what we want. God prepares us for hard times through his word, which always tells us what we need, even if it's not what we want. So first we want to deal, uh, though, with the resurrection itself and what it proves. And again, I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. It proves that Jesus, the Son of God... And that who takes away our sins. Now our, our passage is, is meant, it's intentionally crafted in such a way to draw our mind back to two previous passages in Luke's gospel. It uses language that's common to or imagery that's common to these other passages. And the first is, is the baptism of Jesus in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And you'll, you might remember, I know it, was, it feels like an eternity ago, uh, when we looked at that, but as, as Jesus is baptized, it, it concludes with the Father declaring, This is my Son, my beloved Son, uh, with whom I am well pleased. And we know from the, from the scriptures that baptism is a picture of death. And the point was this. When my son comes through death on the other side, you will know that that is my declaration that he is my son and that I am well pleased with him. In other words, if the Father is pleased with the Son, if, if the Son does all that the Father required, if He truly has no sin, but has kept the God's law perfectly, then the Father will let us know this by raising His Son from the dead, bringing Him through that death. It would be a declaration that He was who He claimed to be, the very Son of God. Paul tells us He was shown to be the Son through the resurrection. And so it would be, the resurrection would be to us a sign that his sacrifice had been accepted and that he had delivered his people from judgment. That he had taken away their sins 
and that his people don't need to fear the last day because God's wrath has been satisfied on their behalf. That's what the resurrection would signify. Uh, We see that through Luke chapter 3 in the baptism. But there's another passage that we're supposed to think of as well. When we saw two men uh, dressed in dazzling clothes. And and that is in chapter 9 in the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's there in that passage that we, we, we catch a glimpse of the new creation. And what awaits us in the resurrection. And there again, just as at the baptism, the father declares, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so the message there is is the same as at his baptism. It's it's something like this. When you see two men dressed in dazzling clothes, this is the resurrection, proof that Jesus is my son, that he has taken away your sins, and you need to listen to him. These passages were were preparing us so that we might not just understand the fact of the resurrection, that it happened, but the importance why he had to raise from the dead. It proved that he is God's son, that he is sinless, perfect, and that he has done what he came to do, taken away our sins, and satisfied God's wrath against us. That's that's why the resurrection is so important to Christianity. This is why the Bible says things like, if Jesus is not raised, we are still in our sins, and we are without hope. The resurrection isn't just a neat end to the story, it is the heart of the Christian message. But the passage goes on. Uh, So let's pick up halfway through verse 5. The women are uh, scared. They're trembling. These men in dazzling uh, garments, these angels are standing before them. Let's pick up in verse 5, the second part. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. What's interesting is that as as important and as central as the resurrection is to our Christian faith, the bulk of our passage isn't actually about the resurrection itself but how it caught his disciples, his followers, off guard. But it shouldn't have. And so really what we see in these next few verses is that Jesus prepared his disciples for his death and resurrection. And that becomes the focus of this exchange between uh, the angels and these women at the tomb. Uh, who the, These women went to the tomb on Sunday morning. And... What's kind of surprising in Luke's account is how much is actually missing from his record. 
If we read Matthew and Mark and, and John, uh, we learn all sorts of other details. We hear about an earthquake. Uh, we hear about guards who fell asleep. Uh, we hear about uh, a conspiracy uh, by the religious leaders in Jerusalem to perpetuate this lie that the disciples stole the body and things like that. Totally absent in Luke's record. Instead, he focuses in on, on these women who came to embalm Jesus' body. Uh, we, we saw last week that they had prepared spices and ointments uh, for his body. This was the custom in the day. But of course, by the time Jesus' body was brought down from the cross, the Sabbath was beginning. And so they weren't able to go and embalm his, uh, his body. They wait all day on Saturday. And uh, they wait for the Sabbath to end. And first thing Sunday morning, they're at the tomb hoping uh, to prepare his body with these spices and these ointments. These are the same women mentioned in chapter 8 of Luke that had had demons uh, cast out of them. They were some of Jesus' loyalist followers. In fact, we're told that some of these women who actually provided for Jesus and his disciples out of their resources. And now it's the third day. They come early to the tomb. But what they found was an empty tomb. And two angels awaiting them. And they're confused and they're scared. Now that's understandable. Usually when angels show up in the Bible, they're terrifying. People fall down and they tremble. Beyond that, this is not what they're expecting. The body of their Lord is missing. They're in distress. And we get it. But look at the angel's response. It doesn't seem exactly sympathetic. It says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. The women are in the wrong place. Because tombs are for the dead. And and Jesus is alive. They shouldn't be looking for him in a graveyard. But the angels go on. And they say, don't you remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that he must be delivered over into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and rise on the third day? Jesus warned you that all of this was going to happen. Not just that he would die, but that he would rise again. Not just that he would rise again. What day to expect it? They knew exactly what would happen. And yet here they stand, confused, scared, completely caught off guard. And and we ask the question, how? How can you be caught so off guard when you were told exactly what would happen? Parents know the answer to that question. (laughs) How many times have we told our kids exactly what would happen? And then they say, but. We know what's going on here. When Jesus told them that he was going to die and rise again on the third day, it was at the height of his popularity. The crowds were eating out of the palms of his hands, and everywhere he went, they were, crowds, they were pushing in to get close to him. And the disciples thought, this is it. This is the biggest thing to ever happen. We are going to take over the world. 
And then Jesus starts talking about being delivered over to sinful men and being put to death. And they just couldn't believe it. it they didn't want to believe it. Because it didn't fit their lives at that moment. And so at best, it was filed away somewhere in their back of their minds. Simply put, they ignored him. But he did warn them. Now standing there before the angels, his words slowly come back to them. And we're told in verse 8 that they remembered. And suddenly all was made clear. He had prepared them for this moment. He had told them what would happen. And it's happened exactly like he said it would. Now, knowing that doesn't make the cross any less painful. It doesn't mean life won't be hard. But what it does do is give perspective. A way to understand what's going on. Jesus assured them that death would come and that resurrection would follow. That, that death would not have the final word. That pain would not win. That was to be their comfort in the excruciating pain of facing his death. Even before they saw the risen Lord, his word gave them what they needed to make sense out of the greatest pain they had ever experienced. He had prepared them for his death and his resurrection. And filled with understanding and, and hope now, these women, they, they didn't walk. They, they got up and they ran, we're told, back to tell the others, most of whom who ended up struggling to believe these women, even though they had prepared, been prepared as well. And so let's read the final verses. I'm going to read verse 8 again through uh, verse 12. They remembered his words... And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. And he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. As we look at these final verses uh, this morning, I really want us to ask this question, what about us? Because in a sense, we can say, well, we... uh, The death of Jesus doesn't come as a surprise to us. We expect, every time we read the Gospels, we expect the death of Jesus, and we know the resurrection is going to follow. We talked about that last week. These, these truths have become so a part of our lives. We've heard them so many times. They're kind of like the air we breathe. We take them for granted. But there are still hard times in life that catch us off guard. And it's God's word that prepares you for those hard times. 
God's word prepares you for hard times. The Bible says a lot of things that are unpleasant and, quite frankly, undesirable. God warns us that people are going to hate us, that we're going to be unpopular. The Bible warns us that life with Jesus will be harder than life without him in this world. And we can't believe it. We don't want to believe it. It doesn't fit with our lives at the moment we hear those things. So what do we do? We just file them somewhere in the back of our minds. Simply put, like the women and the other disciples, we ignore it. We ignore it because we're young and we're eager and we, and we think we're going to take over the world. And that we figured things out and we're going to live a life without heartache. You see, when life is going well, it is easy to ignore what the Bible says about hardship and pain. And quite frankly, that's a lot of what the Bible has to say. But what happens when life gets hard? What happens when we lose popularity? When it no longer looks like we're going to take over the world? When you deal with the same sin over and over and you feel weak and powerless and and your, your, your dreams of taking over the world have been replaced by just hoping you can hang on. When you lose your job. When you lose a pregnancy or a child. When your wife of 50 years goes to be with the Lord. When cancer comes back and this time it's spread. When your marriage falls apart. When your children abandon the Lord and your heart breaks. What happens when you're scared and you're confused and you are totally caught off guard? In his wonderful book, uh, Too Good to Be True, Mike Horton says that the time to learn about God's purposes in hard times is not in the middle of the hard times. You're just not ready. You've got too much going on. Your mind is spinning and you're hurting. He says you need to prepare before those times come. If you want to cling to the Lord when when things get tough, you need to prepare before things get hard. And you do that by by spending time in God's word. As the psalmist says, your word have I I stored up in my heart that I might not sin against you. The, The psalmist is saying, all that time I spent in your word has prepared me for this moment so that I might cling to you. The more we understand who God is and what he is doing, the more prepared we will be to cling to him when our worlds are turned upside down. It won't make those times painless. But the Lord will bring to memory what he has previously told you and it will give context and and meaning and hope and help you make sense out of it. Just like with those women at the tomb, you, you'll hear those words, is this not what I told you would happen? And you'll remember. 
But in order to remember something, at first has to be in there. All of God's word is not going to make sense to you right away. You won't like all of it. But all of God's word is good. And the more that it is in you, the better prepared you will be when life throws you a curve. Parents, this informs how we raise our children, doesn't it? Our job is to teach our children God's word. We plant seeds, but it is outside of our control to cause the growth. We hope those seeds take root early. We hope uh, our, our children follow the Lord from their earliest days. But our children may walk away like the prodigal son. Our hope, our desire, is that when they are ready, when they are ready to listen, the truth will be in there to call to memory. Those seeds might lay dormant for many years. And then just at the right time, that seed, long thought dead, will suddenly spring to life. Our God is, after all, a God of resurrections. Perhaps this is why women are so prominent in our passage. That wasn't common in ancient literature. Uh, Women were often dismissed, unfortunately, and the church is not immune. We, we even see that some of the apostles immediately dismissed the women's testimony, thought they were talking idle talk. Really, the word is nonsense. Idle talk is kind of a nice way to put it. But their testimony took root. They bore witness, and eventually more believed, first Peter and then others. And soon that gospel message spread throughout the, the known world. And that's how it often is. And maybe usually is, is a better term. I have heard many, many testimonies in my life. And very, very few start with this amazing apologist just explained away all those concerns I ever heard. Or or very few start with this powerful preacher just really caught hold of me. You know what I usually hear from people? Most of the time starts with something like this. My mom used to tell me and read God's word. Or, or my grandma. My testimony certainly starts that way. Timothy's started that way. Moms, dads too, but moms, you are the seed planters. Even if your children don't seem to hear what you are telling them, it's in there. And they will be prepared when they are ready to hear it. Moms, keep doing what you're doing. People eventually remember, and remembering is powerful. Perhaps that's why... Jesus told us to receive the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him so as to bring to memory all he did for us. We come to the Lord's table 
And in receiving, we, we remember that Jesus died and that he rose again for our salvation. And, and that the resurrection assures us that the Father was pleased with the obedience of the Son. That his wrath has been satisfied. And we hear again that promise that those who, who trust Jesus Christ have been forgiven and are heirs of heaven. But we don't just remember. The, the Bible says that when we come and receive the Lord's Supper, we remember and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that others might hear and learn and one day remember. If you're here and you don't know what Christianity is about, this is it. We Christians are about this. The Son of God who became man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross to suffer what we deserve, and rose again on the third day, triumphant over death, offering salvation to all who put their trust in him. That's what we are about. Now, even if that doesn't seem to matter so much to you today, my prayer is that one day when your conscience is more than you can bear and you realize that you must one day give an account to a holy God that you will remember what you heard here today and you will surrender and you will find peace in surrendering that's my prayer amen I'd like to ask the elders to come forward so we might receive uh, the Lord's Supper this morning. And please join me in prayer. God of life, we thank you for the resurrection, that you have conquered sin and death, and that wrath has been silenced by Jesus. We thank you that we need not fear the last day because you are pleased with all your son did on our behalf. And so we ask that you would teach us to remember all that you've declared in your word, that we would see everything through the lens of your truth, and there we would find peace. Help us to store up your word in our hearts, to teach it to our children. And when the time comes, when the need is great, Help us to remember, and in remembering, find peace. Amen.